Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. You're seeing the show on Monday because tomorrow morning, on Tuesday, the review embargo for Andor drops, and I wanted to make sure I got you my review just as soon as I was able to. So I shifted the show to Monday, which was actually kind of convenient because, full disclosure, I will not be talking about the box office that just happened this past weekend where movies like The Woman King and Pearl were entering the theatrical marketplace, and that's because I'm on vacation this week. It's my first full week away from the channel, really, since I started it two and a half years ago, but don't worry. I've got this video today, I've got Andor tomorrow, and I've got another fun video later on down the week. So you're still getting stuff here on the channel, but I didn't want to go a week, of course, without charts, and the timing is convenient because today we are going to be wrapping up the summer box office. How did I do in my predictions? The jury's still out a little bit. What were some of the winners? What were some of the losers? And what are some of the surprising movies that only did so-so? There's a lot of really interesting facts about the summer box office for us to go over. Before we do that, though, I want to thank, as always, my partners here on the show, Carbon Health. I love being partnered up with Carbon Health because we both believe in what the other one is doing, and I love Carbon Health's mission to bring healthcare to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. If you get the Carbon Health app right now, you can do virtual appointments so you don't even have to go into a physical location, or you can make an appointment for a physical location that's near you. They keep urgent care appointments open all day as well, in case you need to go and you don't have time to make that appointment ahead of time. And if you live in California, you can also use Carbon Health as your primary care provider. So thank you as always to Carbon Health for being an excellent partner here on the show. You can check out the description below to learn more about them. And let's take a look at the summer that was, even though a couple of things are still unfolding. Let's look first of all at the top 10 summer movies. Now these are domestically because the release structure isn't the same around the world. These are figures as of last Thursday. So they're going to be a little bit higher uh, as you're watching the show today uh, because there's a whole box office weekend that hasn't happened yet as I'm recording this. Top Gun Maverick though, I'm fairly confident unless one movie has a massive weekend is going to be the number one movie at the box office with just over $700 million. I did not see that coming at the beginning of the summer season. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number two with just over $400 million. Followed by Jurassic World, Dominion, Minions, The Rise of Gru, and Thor, Love, and Thunder all clustered together there between $342 and $375 million. Then we have a drop-off of about $200 million, but that's not necessarily bad news for the other movies. Elvis certainly did well for itself. We'll talk more about it in just a moment. At number six with $150.4 million, followed by Nope with $122 million. Lightyear all the way down at number eight. You know we're going to be talking about that with $118 million. Bullet Train at number nine. Perhaps it can chug its way to the $100 million mark. It'd be the second Brad Pitt movie this year to do that. The Black Phone at number 10 currently, but you see the two movies that are hot on its trail, where the Crawdads sing only about $1.7 million behind the Black Phone as I sit here recording this before the previous box office weekend. And then my pick for the top 10, DC League of Super Pets, is now about $4 million, a little more than $4 million behind the Black Phone. And I think it's going to be a photo finish between those three to see what the number 10 movie of the year is going to be. When you look at my predictions, these were the ones on the left that I made at the very beginning of the box office season. I predicted Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness to be the number one movie of the summer. It was not. It was the number two movie of the summer, but by a huge margin. I thought that Jurassic World Dominion was going to be the second highest grossing movie 
movie of the summer. It was at number three, so that's not so bad. Thor Love and Thunder, I predicted, would be the third highest grossing film. It ended up being down there at number five. I had Lightyear all the way up at number four as the fourth highest grossing film, and it just barely made the top ten. It's over at number eight on the actual list. I really hedged my bets with Top Gun Maverick. I had heard the good buzz about the movie going in, but I just wasn't sure how much audience interest there would be. Well, that was a dumb thing to do because I predicted it would be number five. It is easily number one. Minions The Rise of Gru, I predicted the number six movie of the summer. It actually ended up being up there around number four. Number seven is the one that's still up in the air. DC League of Super Pets, I said would be the seventh highest grossing movie of the summer. Well, it's definitely not going to be that. And it's a big question mark as to whether it's actually going to be one of the top 10 movies, although it's making a late push as it rounds out its theatrical run. So we'll see if I can do that and get that 10 out of 10 season. I predicted Nope to be the eighth highest grossing movie of the summer. It's currently at number seven. Bullet Train right now, I predicted right on the nose at number nine is the ninth highest grossing film of the summer. And then I went out on a limb and picked Elvis to be number 10. It's actually number six. So Elvis overperforming based off of the expectations that I had going into the summer. The Black Phone, the one movie that's currently on the list that I did not pick, but as I mentioned before, that number 10 spot still very much up for grabs. And one thing I wanted to go back and see was what is my overall accuracy when it comes to predicting the summer box office? Because I've been doing it for several years now. Well, let's go and look at my track record. This goes all the way back to 2015, back on Screen Junkies. Back in 2015, I predicted seven out of the 10 summer movies correctly. Then in 2016, which is the summer that I also hosted Summer Movie Report on Screen Junkies Plus. Remember Screen Junkies Plus? I also got 7 out of 10. In 2017, I stepped up my game a little bit and got 8 out of 10. I duplicated that performance in 2018 and got 8 out of 10 again. My last year doing the Summer Box Office Contest at Screen Junkies was my best year, but I also did not win that year based on a tiebreaker. I got 9 out of 10 correct. Of course, there really was no summer movie season in the year 2020. Last year, I got 8 out of 10 correct. And then this year, I'm going to get either 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. If DC League of Super Pets is able to make its way up into the top 10, it will be the first time in 7 tries that I have ever predicted all 10 summer movies correctly, which means it's probably not going to happen, right? So when you look at my overall accuracy, I'm at either 56 or 57 movies picked correctly out of 70 for an 80 to 81% accuracy rate. That's not too shabby. I'll take it. If I could pick 8 out of 10 movies in the summer box office every year, I'll roll with those odds. Something that we've been looking at as far as the annual box office is the market share. How much of the total ticket sales each studio was getting. But I wanted to look at the market share specifically for summer 2022. And I think that a lot of people would say, well, that's easy. Paramount had by far the biggest movie of the summer. So I'm sure they had the biggest market share of any of the studios. You would be wrong in that assertion. It was actually Universal. Universal had a 31% market share, meaning 31% of all tickets sold for movies this summer were Universal releases. It's probably no coincidence that through Universal and also Focus Features and its other imprints, Universal had the most releases this summer, 14 total releases for 31% of the total box office. Disney Fox was actually in second place. It only put out five films, 
but it got 27% of the total box office. Paramount is in third place for market share, and that's because it really only had two big releases. It had Top Gun Maverick, it had Pause of Fury, which is a movie that we're going to talk about later, and then two smaller films. So Paramount really was a one-horse studio this summer, and that's why it only got 21% of the box office market share, because that entire 21%, basically almost all of it belongs to Top Gun Maverick. Sony, Warner Brothers, and the all other slice, meaning every other studio besides the major five studios, all got 7% market share. Two releases for Warner Brothers, 10 releases for Sony, although again, a lot of those were smaller films. And then as I mentioned, the all other studio slice also at 7%. So let's get down into these numbers a little bit and look at specific movies. What movies were winners this summer and what movies were losers? Well, the first movie that we can definitively call a winner is Top Gun Maverick. It was the number one movie of the summer, a budget of $170 million, a gross of $1.4 billion worldwide. The first film since the original Top Gun to recapture number one at the box office after over eight weeks, 15 weeks, maybe 16 by the time we're doing this video in the domestic top five, the fifth highest grossing film of all time domestically, the 11th highest grossing film of all time worldwide. What can we say about Top Gun that we haven't already said? It was not just a success, it was a phenomenon, something that you only see every five to 10 years. Another movie that some people said was not a success, but which I've been saying all summer, mathematically was a success, and I'm naming it a box office winner, is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It had a budget of $200 million, but it had a worldwide gross of $952 million, with a $411 million domestic gross. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness also owns the biggest opening weekend so far of 2022, both domestic and worldwide. It is the eighth highest grossing MCU film domestically, the 11th highest grossing MCU film worldwide. And keep in mind, this is without a release in China, Russia, and many other countries that usually bring in a lot of money for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So yes, people, some people disappointed in Doctor Strange, some people saying it should have hit a billion dollars worldwide. But the fact of the matter is that it is a financial financial success, and I'm sure that Disney is happy with the amount of money that it brought in, even if there was maybe somebody who had hoped that it could bring in $100 million more. Another movie I'm naming a box office winner is Jurassic World Dominion, a fairly low for a movie of its size, I guess, budget of $165 million. It is currently hovering right under the $1 billion mark worldwide, $998 million worldwide, $375 million domestic. Jurassic World Dominion had the second biggest opening weekend of 2022, again, both domestic and worldwide. It is the fourth highest grossing Jurassic film domestically. It is also the fourth highest grossing Jurassic film worldwide. And it is one of two summer blockbusters that were also granted a Chinese release. The other one being Minions, The Rise of Gru, which is another box office winner. We have a lot more to say about this one specifically. A budget of $80 million dollars a worldwide gross of $904 million plus a domestic gross of $362 million plus. It is the only animated film in the top 10 highest grossing films of 2022, either domestic or worldwide. The second biggest opening for a Despicable Me franchise film domestically. It's also the second highest grossing Despicable Me film domestically and the fourth highest grossing Despicable Me film worldwide. As you know, I really don't like the Minions, but I do have to respect the fact that they are a box office juggernaut. Uh, we'll talk about that budget a little bit more going forward, but for the investment that Universal puts into these movies, they get an obscene amount of money back. 
One box office winner that maybe not a lot of people would have predicted is Elvis from Baz Luhrmann. It had a budget of $85 million, a worldwide gross, though, of $283 million, with a domestic gross of $150 million. It is the highest-grossing domestic film for director Baz Luhrmann, topping movies like Moulin Rouge and Romeo Juliet, The Great Gatsby as well. It is also the fifth consecutive decade for Tom Hanks to appear in a movie that grossed more than $100 million. This goes all the way back to the 1980s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s. It is the second highest grossing Baz Luhrmann film worldwide, just behind The Great Gatsby. And yes, $283 million worldwide on a budget of $85 million. They're not printing money over at Warner Brothers, but I think that that is a result that they're happy with. Blumhouse is a production company that has done very well with movies that don't cost a lot, and The Black Phone was no exception. The Black Phone had a budget of $17 million. It has returned a gross of $159 million plus worldwide. It's the third highest domestic grosser for star Ethan Hawke and the highest grossing non-Marvel film domestically for director Scott Derrickson. The Black Phone is also the 8th highest grossing film domestically from Blumhouse after Get Out, 2018's Halloween, Split, Glass, Paranormal Activity, Paranormal Activity 3, and Halloween Kills. One last movie I'm putting in the win column, and I'm not saying that these are the only movies that won the summer box office, but I think these are the biggest wins, is one that skewed a little more adult, but that meant that it had a very long tail at the box office, and that's where the crawdads sing. It had a pretty low budget, just $24 million. It has earned $122 million worldwide and $87 million domestic, and it was one of only three Sony-wide releases this summer, the other two being Bullet Train and The Invitation, which were both late summer releases. This is also the first ever wide theatrical release for director Olivia Newman and for star Daisy Edgar Jones. So not a bad start for either of them. And where the crawdads sing a movie that I am putting squarely in the win column. Before we move on, I'd like to thank the sponsor for today's show, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because I'm putting a focus this year on my own health and particularly my gut health. It's been something I've been working on since the beginning of the year, and AG1 has been a big step in that process. And taking AG1 is super simple. I can either put a scoop right into a cup of water, I can make a shake at home for breakfast. Either way, it is a quick and tasty way for me to start the day off right and make sure that I'm supporting not only my gut health, but my immune system, my recovery, my focus, and so much more. AG1 is lifestyle friendly and contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs or artificial anything. If you don't take a multivitamin or you've been trying to figure out which one to take, AG1 is also a great choice because it's full of high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Athletic Greens also cares about the world around them and for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry right here in the US. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Dan. Again, that's athleticgreens.com Dan, D-A-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show.
So we have winners, we have losers, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then there are the movies that were only so-so. These are movies that I don't think did exceptionally well, but that may not exactly be flops. Let's look at some of those films. We're going to skip over that first title uh, for just a moment. Well, let's look at the rest of the movies first. Nope had a budget of $68 million. It now has a worldwide gross of $166 million. That's an okay result, but this is a big studio movie. They probably put a lot into marketing and promotion. I had hoped that the movie would do better at the box office than it has thus far. Uh, so this goes into the so-so performance bucket. Bullet Train, as I mentioned, one of two releases from Sony. It's brought in $212 million worldwide. The only issue is it had a budget of $90 million. And when you bring in marketing and promotion, I think that that is also a borderline case. DC League of Super Pets, I think you could maybe move it one way or the other. But again, this is a movie where the budget is hurting. You got to pay The Rock and Kevin Hart a lot of money. A $90 million budget higher than Minions The Rise of Gru with a $169 million worldwide gross so far. Downton Abbey A New Era was a follow-up that had a budget of $40 million, grossing about $92 million worldwide. This was also a streaming play for Peacock, so it's hard to judge. Beast is a movie that could easily go in the lose column. I'm putting it in the so-so column because it is a little bit of a lower price point, a budget of $36 million. I could see it making some more money worldwide. It's right now at $53 million worldwide. And then The Invitation is another one that's really only on this so-so list because of its budget. A $10 million budget with a $25 million gross worldwide. It's a little easier to turn a profit on these smaller budget films. That's why I'm putting it in this category. But let's look at that top title. Thor Love and Thunder, $750 million plus gross worldwide. What the hell is it doing in the so-so performance bucket? Well, the first thing to look at is the budget for this movie. $250 million, which I believe makes it the most expensive movie of any of the wide releases this summer. And that's really where it all starts, but I know a lot of people would be asking the question, how could a $750 million worldwide grossing film even potentially lose money? Well, let's look at some pretty realistic scenarios, I think. This is a little bit of a breakdown. So imagine that the Thor 11 Thunder worldwide gross is a big pot of money and nothing has come out of that pot yet. That's the amount of money that gets deposited at Marvel's doorstep from its worldwide box office run. Well, from that pot of money, you have to immediately take out $250 million because that's how much the movie costs to make. Then you have to talk about the amount of money that goes to theaters. Let's be very kind to Disney and Marvel here and say that only 45% of the worldwide gross went to theaters. That's not an unrealistic number. That means you take out another $337,450,000 out of the pot. Well, what about marketing? The marketing budget on a movie like Thor Love and Thunder is massive. And so I put a marketing figure there at $150 million. And quite honestly, that could be a low ball. If you take that $150 million out, all of a sudden, the total remaining from that worldwide gross is $12.5 million. That's your potential profit. Now, this does not include, on the negative side, any profit participation from people like Taika Waititi or Natalie Portman or Chris Hemsworth if they negotiated a percentage of the movie's gross revenue before you take out expenses. However, this also does not include any kind of ancillary income, something from merchandising, stuff from home video, Blu-ray, streaming, etc. So it is likely that the income stream on Thor Love and Thunder is higher than what we're seeing here, but these are the only numbers that I 
have access to. But you see here that when the movie has a $250 million budget, even on the scale of a Thor 11 Thunder, your margins are razor thin. And just to make that point, Here's if you slightly tweak the numbers. So let's go back. You have that $750 million gross. The budget stays the same, $250 million. But let's say that 50% of your worldwide gross goes to theaters. That's $375 million out of the pot. And let's up your marketing budget to $200 million, which again is not unheard of. Now you're $75 million in the hole. Do I think this is the financial situation with Thor Love and Thunder? Not necessarily, but this is just an example of how a movie can seem to be a massive hit, but when you actually look at the numbers behind it, that can be very deceiving. I don't know why they were greenlighting a movie like Thor Love and Thunder, or honestly any movie that's not Avengers Endgame, at $250 million, but that's the first step really that sets you up to have to make these huge grosses, not just double the budget, but triple the budget because you're operating at such scale. And that's why Thor Love and Thunder also goes in my so-so performance bracket because it was a movie that operated at such a huge scale that it had to make that impossible amount of money and it didn't quite get there. Still, though, Thor Love and Thunder does not go on my list of summer box office losers, but let's look at a few films that did. Number one, first and foremost, and the one that surprised me the most, is Lightyear from Pixar. Lightyear had a budget of $200 million. Good grief, these Disney budgets are crazy. A worldwide gross of $218 million and a domestic gross of $118 million. So based just on box office returns, Disney's losing money. Lightyear is the second lowest domestic grocer in Pixar history, and it got very lucky because the lowest domestic grocer is Onward, which had a box office run that was heavily affected by the COVID-19 pandemic closures in 2020. Lightyear is also the only Pixar summer release to make less than $150 million domestically for movies that were released in theaters. The next lowest grossing movie is Cars 3, which made $152 million domestically. And Lightyear was also outgrossed by every other Toy Story movie unadjusted for inflation. So we're talking $1995. Lightyear was a massive disappointment for Disney. I don't think there's any controversy about that. It was an offshoot of their most popular Pixar franchise, and it just didn't deliver for any number of reasons. But it wasn't the only animated film that was a disappointment for Fox Disney over the summer. Another one, although on a much smaller scale, was the Bob's Burgers movie. It had a budget of $38 million, reportedly, with a $34 million worldwide gross and a $31.9 million gross domestically. This is a movie that was announced in 2017. It was delayed nearly two years due to COVID, moved on and off the schedule multiple times, and I was also doing some reading. It was even released direct to streaming in some countries, despite being given a theatrical release date in that country. Honestly, the Bob's Burgers movie felt like a project that Fox Disney didn't really know what to do with following the merger. It was announced as being theatrical and then streaming and then theatrical and then streaming. And it seemed like it eventually hit theaters just out of obligation. And by that time, I think whatever heat the movie had when it was announced five years ago had dissipated, at least dissipated to the extent that a $38 million movie could not make money in the theatrical window. Another animated film, this time for Paramount that did not do well, is Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank, a $45 million budget, which is pretty economical for an animated film, but still just a $21 million gross worldwide and a $17.8 million gross domestically. I don't know if you knew this, but Paws of Fury is actually an animated remake of Blazing Saddles. The original Blazing Saddles writers are credited, I believe, with a story credit on this film. 
one of only two summer-wide releases for Paramount, the other one being Top Gun Maverick. Pause of Fury is also the lowest-grossing domestic animated wide-release film of 2022 and the worst wide-release opening ever for Michael Sarah. So sorry, Michael Sarah. Pause of Fury was a little bit of a low point for you. When we look at budget versus return, the biggest disparity of the summer may very well be George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing. It had a $60 million budget, currently a $9 million worldwide gross, with a $7.6 million domestic gross. This is George Miller's follow-up to Mad Max Fury Road. It opened in seventh place domestically, and it was the worst wide opening weekend domestically for Idris Elba, and the second worst wide opening weekend for Tilda Swinton, behind only the personal history of David Copperfield, which was one of the first movies to hit theaters after they reopened in 2020. So a disappointing summer season for 3,000 Years of Longing and for those other movies that were in the loser category. And there's plenty of other films, but you know I didn't want to break down each one of them individually. Let's look at some other stats and figures for the summer. These are estimated ticket sales domestically. This is based on the reported average ticket price of $9.17. I got these figures from the website, The Numbers. The top ticket seller, no surprise, Top Gun Maverick. By the numbers count, it sold over 77 million tickets this summer. A big drop-off between Maverick and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which sold a reported 44.8 million tickets, followed by 40 million tickets for Jurassic World Dominion, 39.5 million tickets for Minions The Rise of Gru, and 37.3 million tickets for Thor Love and Thunder. And when we look at the estimates from the numbers for the highest grossing summer movie by ticket sales this century, and you'll see that the top five ticket sellers are all from 2012 and afterwards. The top ticket seller, no surprise, is Avengers Endgame with an estimated 93.7 million tickets sold, followed by The Avengers with 78.3 million tickets sold, Jurassic World with 77.3 million tickets sold, Top Gun Maverick with 77 million tickets sold, and then Avengers Infinity War with 74.5 million tickets sold. Now, a lot of people will say, well, that's not really that meaningful of a number because of population increase, and I get that, but at the same time, Anytime you're selling 75 million plus tickets, that means you're onto something pretty special. And we've seen, particularly as you can see through Marvel here, that audiences have found something special at the box office for the last decade. Top Gun Maverick was able to tap into that same vein. Let's look at the best legs of the summer, and I'm not talking about One Last Expedition to the Beach. I'm talking about movies that got the best multiple of their opening weekend. So when we talk about a movie's legs, if it opened to $20 million and its final domestic gross was $100 million, then it had legs of five, meaning its final gross was five times its domestic opening weekend. So based off of that metric, it's still no surprise that Top Gun Maverick had the best legs of the summer. Its gross as of this show was 5.7 times its opening weekend, where the Crawdad Sing had the second best legs of the summer. Its gross is right now 5.09 times its opening weekend, followed by Elvis, which had a 4.82 multiplier. Its gross is 4.82 times its opening weekend. The Black Phone's at number four with 3.8 times its opening. And then kind of sneaking in there is DC League of Super Pets. It did not have the most impressive opening, but right now its domestic box office total is at about 3.71 times that opening. Another great metric to look at is how much did these movies return on their budget? What did they earn versus what did the studio spend on them? These are the top five movies as far as revenue, so raw dollars 
what the biggest return on budget was by worldwide box office. Top Gun Maverick made back its budget and then returned $1.28 billion back to the studio. Jurassic World Dominion earned $833.3 million against its budget. Minions The Rise of Gru, $824.8 million, followed by Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness with $752.3 million against its budget. And then we mentioned Thor Love and Thunder, that $250 million budget really hurting the return on it. Just under half a billion dollars return, but keep in mind that you have to take a lot out of that money. Now, these were the five biggest movies of the summer. So naturally, when you look at just raw dollars, they're going to be the ones that are returning the most on their budget. But something that studios really pay attention to is how many times the budget do you return? So if I spend $100 million on the movie and you bring me back $500 million, well, that's great. You brought me back a five times return, but I also spent $100 million on your movie. Whereas if I spent $5 million on the movie and you bring me back $500 million, you're multiplying that budget by 100 times, and I'm a pretty happy studio executive. So let's look at who had the best return on budget when you look at it by percent. And the crown goes to Minions The Rise of Gru. Its worldwide gross is 11.3 times its $80 million budget. The Black Phone is at number two. Its worldwide gross is 9.3 times its budget, followed by Top Gun Maverick with 8.5 times its production budget, Jurassic World Dominion at 6.1 times its production budget, and then Where the Crawdads Sing with 5.1 times its budget. This return on investment, even though some of these are bigger returns than others, this is what studios like. We spent a little amount of money and we got back a lot of money. Sometimes that's $700 million, sometimes it's $150 million, but you know what? It spends the same. So that wraps up my look at the summer movie season. One thing that I was able to do is to look at the streaming numbers because they were released before I left uh, to go on my vacation. So let's look at the numbers for the previous week that I do have. Let's look first at the 10 most watched programs on Netflix. This is for the week of September 5th through the 11th. At number one is a new Netflix movie, End of the Road, which came in with a PFV of 19.9. That is potential finished views, the number of Netflix users that could potentially have watched the entire program. It's just a little personal metric that I use. At number two is Cobra Kai Season 5 with a PFV of 17.1, keeping in mind that this only covered, I believe, the first three days of its release, so we could see an even bigger number next week. Love in the Villas at number three, followed by I Came By at number four, and Devil in Ohio at number five. At number six is the Netflix movie Me Time, followed by the Netflix movie Loving Adults. At number eight, it's Morbin Time because Morbius, God Help Us All, is one of the most watched movies on Netflix globally with a PFE of 7.1, meaning 7.1 million Netflix users for some ungodly reason could potentially have finished watching the entire Morbius movie. At number nine is the Netflix original movie No Limit, and then at number 10, the holdover Netflix original movie fenced in. We also got new Nielsen streaming numbers, so let's look at them. Looking first at the top 10 most watched streaming movies. Now these numbers are delayed by about a month. This is for the week of August 15th to the 21st, and they don't include all devices, so it's not a perfect metric, but it's kind of a signpost on the way. At number one from Netflix is Day Shift, followed by Look Both Ways from Netflix. At number two, Day Shift was watched for 15.9 million hours domestically. Look Both Ways at number two with 10.2 million hours. Uncharted on Netflix falls to number three. Light Years at number four. Scene 2 is at number five. 
Purple Hearts is at six, the Gray Man at seven, Encanto. We've talked about the fact that Encanto is a fixture on this chart. Things kind of calmed down from last week, and we see it back on the chart at number eight. Prey on Hulu drops to number nine, and then Moana, another perennial favorite on the most watched streaming movies chart, re-enters the chart at number 10. And let's close out the streaming charts by looking at the 10 most popular streaming series. Now, a couple of interesting caveats here. These numbers are for August 15th through the 21st. August 21st was the premiere day of House of the Dragon. So this only covers one day for House of the Dragon. It does not appear on this chart. We'll see if it appears in the future. The weird thing with House of the Dragon, of course, being that it's only one episode or two, whereas all the rest of these series have multiple seasons to watch. So it is harder for a show that's releasing week to week to make this chart because you have a much smaller number of minutes to be watched potentially. This chart does cover the first four days of She-Hulk's premiere week. You will not see She-Hulk on this chart. It did not make the top 10 uh, generally for original programming. And again, I think it's because you had one episode that was 30 minutes long. It's just hard to put up the same viewership numbers as four seasons of different shows because that's how Nielsen does their numbers. It's not separated out season by season. If you watch Stranger Things season one or three or four, it all goes towards Stranger Things. The 10 shows that did make this chart though, the most watched streaming shows in the US, The Sandman on Netflix at number one with 15.7 million hours watched, though right behind it is Stranger Things on Netflix with 15.3 million hours watched, and just behind Stranger Things is Never Have I Ever on Netflix with 14.7 million hours watched. NCIS is at number four, followed by Lock and Key. Grey's Anatomy is at number six. Bluey on Disney+, Plus, which I got a lot of recommendations for last week after I mentioned it, is at 11.3 million hours, good enough for number seven. Untold on Netflix, the lone new entrant on the chart at number eight with 10.5 million hours. Virgin River at number nine and Coco Melon at number 10. So that wraps up this pre-recorded version of Charts. I'll be back next week with the latest box office news. I'll also cover any big stories that I missed that happened the previous weekend uh, that I'm spending on vacation. It's a big week, though, for movies. We're starting to cycle back into releases. We're getting into awards season, and you've got a lot of options this upcoming week. First of all, on Wednesday, the three-episode premiere of Andor hits Disney+. Plus. You'll be able to see my review of Andor, those three episodes plus one more tomorrow morning when the embargo drops. Also on Wednesday is a Peacock original movie called Meet Cute starring Pete Davidson and Kaylee Cuoco, which has a truly heinous poster. This is just one of the worst posters I've seen in quite some time. Hopefully the movie's better. It really couldn't be much worse. This weekend in theaters, Avatar will be getting a full nationwide re-release so you can re-experience Pandora in glorious 3D if you so desire. Also, Don't Worry Darling, the most dramatic movie of the year, and that's just behind the camera, will finally be hitting theaters. I feel like I've been hearing about this movie for months at this point, because I kind of have. Catherine Called Birdie, which is a new film from Lena Dunham, will be hitting Amazon in October, but will be available in limited release this weekend. A documentary about Sidney Poitier, directed by Reggie Hudland, which will also be debuting on Apple TV+, will be available in limited runs. The documentary is also produced by Oprah Winfrey. Tyler Perry will be directing a drama hitting Netflix this weekend called A Jazz Man's Blues. And then also hitting Netflix is a revenge movie starring Journey Smollett and Allison Janney called Lou. Allison Janney revenge movie, you pretty much have me sold there. 
And those are just a few of the options that you have coming up this week and this weekend. Thank you so much for spending part of your Monday with me. Stay tuned tomorrow for the Andor review. And on Thursday, I've got a video ready to go about what I would do if I ran movie theaters. What changes would I make? It was a really fun video to do, and I'm excited for you to see it. I'll be back with more up-to-date news next week. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.